Thank you. John the Elder. I like that. Yeah, it was amazing. And a snort never hurt anything. All right, so um, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. And I can even help you with that if you borrow a Bible. It's on page 984. Uh, just by luck, I have the same page number, so that's good. Uh, I want to give you an idea. Just I want to start with an image. All right, I want you to... So if I was not married, now I am married, and so we're going to... I'm going to use my own wife, because it would be creepy if I use somebody else. But, uh, so say Lisa and I weren't married, but I wanted to marry her. Right now it's hypothetical, so I want to add some details so that I can make a point here. And so if I wanted to marry Lisa, and, and she had kids, let's say she's got three kids, and she's got some siblings she's really close to, and some parents she's really close to, maybe some parents in need and whatever, and, and imagine that's the setting, but I want to marry her, Right? But I, I said, listen, I, I want to marry you, but like, I'm not going to sleep at the house all the time. Like, I'm going to kind of live in my own apartment, but I'm going to come over when I want to. You can fill in the blanks there, but you know, so, right? And I really don't want to help you raise your kids, and I don't love your family. Am I a good husband? Am I functionally married? I mean, maybe somewhere on paper, right? That's not a marriage. That is not a husband. So the same is true about our faith. Ah, trapped you, huh? <laughs> All right. Right? Like in, in order to be a follower of Jesus, it has implications, right? That you put Jesus primary in your life, right? Not one of many, but primary in your life, right? And Jesus baptizes us into a community, a, the local church, right? That we would love one another. Like if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you kind of have to love his kids and his family. And if I didn't talk to my wife ever, and I never, and maybe I only talked and I never listened to her, also not a great way to build a relationship, right? If you don't spend time talking to God daily, and listening to God through, so that would be prayer, right? In case that was unclear. And listening to God through Scripture, by reading Scripture regularly, what does that say about our faith? Right? You see, the, the metaphor equivalent is I'm going to show up on Sundays when nothing else is going on. When I want to. When my football game's at night and it doesn't interfere here then I'll, I'll come to church. That's the guy who just wants to come to the house when he wants to. Right? Well, we need to start thinking differently about our faith. We need to start thinking in biblical terms about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does conversion mean? See, Christian culture has been muddying this up for a long time. Just because you said a prayer somewhere isn't even a, a prayer in the Bible. It's biblical, but it's not. Does that make sense? It's not like it's unbiblical, but it, it's not. It doesn't exist anywhere in Scripture. Just because you went down on a field at a crusade does not make you a Christian. Right? Sitting in church today does not make you a Christian. We got to figure that out. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. See, I, I, I really don't like the term Christian for us today. It's a biblical term. It, it has meaning, but we've watered it down to mean I was born in America. I'm not an atheist or a Buddhist. 
and I like Christmas, so I'm a Christian, right? So I tend to speak in terms of Christ follower, follower of Jesus. Because it's clear what I'm doing, I'm aiming at Jesus. So Paul is writing a letter to the church in Colossae, and he's, he's writing to them about their relationship to one another. And he leans in in chapter 1 as he calls them to be a body, a local church, right? When you hear body or when you hear church, always, always assume I mean the local church. I'll tell you if I mean something else. Always the local church. That's what Paul is writing to. It's what he's talking about. You're members of one body, the church in Colossae. And he calls them to that. And then he, he pauses and he talks about who Jesus is and, and how we get there. How do we get to this body? What does that mean? We're not just a collection of friends. This isn't a work group, a classroom. This is because of Jesus. So he calls us to something. And, he, and then he begins to teach us what that relationship should look like. And so a main idea today is just this, true faith. A follower of Jesus is one who prioritizes Jesus in all things. Now, are we going to do that perfectly all the time? No. I'm not trying to give you an excuse from the beginning, but I get we're going to all fall short of that. But prioritizes Jesus in all things, not just we like, in all things. Loves Jesus' family, that's the local church. Talks to him in prayer often and listens to him, that's scripture, regularly. Now, why do I say Jesus instead of God? Because lots of people want to talk about God today. But I want to be clear that we're followers of Jesus. Do we pray to God the Father? Yes, of course. We, distinct from the neutral, watered-down, oh, I believe in God, are followers of Jesus. And what does that mean to be a follower of Jesus, a a Christian in the true and, and the biblical sense? Colossians 3, verse 1. If then, Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Let's just pause there for a second. Raised with Christ. Let me put a Romans verse up here that kind of gives you some clarity on this. Romans 6, Paul writes to the church in Rome, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, Paul writes, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Before I went on a short sabbatical, We are in Ephesians, last message, that we are dead, we are born dead in our sins, but Christ makes, God makes us alive in Christ, right? Dead in sins, alive in Christ. It's the same imagery Paul uses throughout. You're buried in baptism. See, when you're baptized, you're baptized into a church, but you're also baptized into a faith, right? They go one and the same, right? You can't really be baptized into Jesus without being in a community of faith. And you can't be baptized into a church without believing in Jesus. Those two, those two things need to necessarily go together. That's why when that first sermon is preached by the church, when Peter walks outside in Jerusalem, and these men are convicted, the same people that were shouting for his death just you know, weeks earlier, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. There's this component, like... You will be forgiven, but you're also going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Part of that giftedness of the Holy Spirit is, is a community. Look at our historic creeds, like the Apostles' Creeds or whatever. They're broken down by the Trinity, right? We believe in one God and Father, creator of all. Then one Jesus Christ, one Lord and Savior, right? And then one Holy Spirit, and it gets into the church right there, the universal church, right? Part of being empowered 
having the Holy Spirit in you is being able to get along with the crazy people next to you in the room. Like me, right? Like that's not natural. That takes gifting. See? That this we would live out together. So that you are buried in baptism. That you, yourself, your identity, your individualism, everything that we say makes us American. Right? Like that that dies. And that you are resurrected in Christ. But it's not just in theory. Notice what it says. That we would walk in newness of life. That's Romans. Right? So let's go back to that. So the gospel is this. God created you, loves you, designed you, made you called you for a purpose, but we've all sinned and ruined that. We inherit sin, we inherit brokenness, we live in a world filled with brokenness, and we all sin and add to the brokenness. So here we are in our destitute place, dead in our sins, as we saw in Ephesians. But through the gospel, that Jesus came and entered human flesh, and he lived the life that you and I are called to live, but we fail, and, and not, a, not just fail because it sounds like we're innocent, but we choose not to do so he lives it. And because he is fully God and fully human, he's the perfect sacrifice. And so he goes and he dies on a cross. The creator of life, Jesus himself in human flesh, dies for our sins. He's buried to cover our brokenness. He is resurrected to give us new life. That's what Paul said in Romans 6. That you might walk in newness of life. Not, not the forgiven version of your jacked up broken self. Me, you, us, right? New people, resurrected to newness of life. So in the resurrection, we have power. Jesus ascends back to his throne, his rightful place in heaven, so he can pour out his spirit on us, empower us, and he calls us to become a community to live this, live this life out, this faith out. He calls us together. Verse 1. If then, and note the question, Paul's like, if, so if you're in Christ, not assuming you all are. Now, who's he writing to? A church. Assuming there's believers there, some of whom he knows, but also recognizing not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. They may say they are, and this is a conversation between you and God. I don't get to tell you if you're in Christ or not. That's on you. What I can say is what it looks like to be in Christ. What we can see on the outside. If you tell me you have done the work, put in the study, and you have a conviction to be a vegan, and I see you at In-N-Out today, I'm going to call you on your vegan commitment. You don't get to be a vegan plus bacon. You need to pick and choose. Pick a team, right? And that's what it's like in Christ. Like, you don't get to pick and choose. Select, well, I like that rule, but oof, not that one. Well, I like church, but not when my team plays at 11, right? What, you just don't get to do that. You're in, you're a vegan, or a Christian, or something, or you're not. He says, if. So, verse one. What are we, 20 minutes in, it's one verse. Good job, all right. <laughs> If then, you, on a roll. if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So if you're in Christ, here's what you do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
I'm gonna ignore the fact that I just dropped that. All right, totally cool. So set your mind on things that are above, right? I'm out of practice. I was off for nine messages. I drop water bottles now. First, there's a, there's a point that you're able to do this. Hey, set your mind on things that are above. If you've been raised, if you're in Christ, you've been raised to newness of life, then you have an opportunity to set your mind on things that are above. Now, if you have not been, you don't have the same choices, right? You need Jesus, then opportunities. He says, listen, now, if you're in Christ, you have the opportunity. You can fix your eyes on this world, Lord help us, or you can set your mind on things that are above, right? So what are earthly things versus kingdom things? Well, it's, let's go back to my example. I was a single guy, had a different focus, then I was a married guy and everything changes, right? Like I don't live a single life, like a life that is, that is kind of focused on me, even me and Jesus, whatever, or in the right order, Jesus and me, right? But I'm married, that means I have different priorities, I have a different life, I don't need to go live as a single guy anymore, which, by the way, we never want to do that again, right? Oh, married changes your identity and your values and who you are. You're not just responsible for you. Now you're responsible for a family, right? So he says, set your mind on things that are above. So it's in Christ, set your mind on those things. Be a family man. That's the metaphor, right? Be a part of the family of Jesus. Like, set your mind on those things. Not on earthly things, like yourself, or earthly priorities, right? Your kid winning enough varsity letters to pay for college will not get your kid in, in, into a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus can work alongside everything else, but where are your priorities? What do you fix your eyes on? What do you teach your kids when you go to church, except... When we've got baseball, football, you insert your sport. Cheer. Is that a sport? I noticed that you answered it, and I'm not. I'm not touching that, just for the record. Neither is racing, like car. That's Anyhow. So, okay. All right. Where are you? What do you do when you passively choose other things? Or actively choose other things? What are you passively saying about church? Where do you fix your eyes? Where do you set your priorities? And again, maybe the other thing is a good thing. How do we, how do we prioritize Jesus in everything? There's two things that happen here. I want to read them to you out of Acts. We'll put them on the screen. Here's Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It's, it's not just what they do. They devote themselves to what we would call scripture now, the apostolic teaching, right? The Didache in the early first century, and to prayer, which the American church just is wonderful at, right? Community, fellowship, breaking of bread. But it says they were all together, had all things in common. They shared the burdens of one another. That's what it looked like to be a church. This is the first snapshot of church life. John Calvin calls it the natural face of the church. This is naturally what the church should look like. Just read through that. We'll look at uh, Acts 4, too. This says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, 
but they had everything in common. They had this shared life. You suffer a loss, we all mourn and grieve. You, you, you are joyful. You have a child, we all celebrate your child. You have a need, we all have your need. You have enough, you participate. Right? That it is a community, but the church doesn't look like that. The church in America is so riddled with individualism and so self-selects. I'm a vegan, but I like bacon. I'm not a vegan. I'd never make it, just for the record. <laughs> I wouldn't make it. But at least I know that. <laughs> right? We self-select these things. We pick and choose like it's a buffet or a menu. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. This is who you become. So here's a note for you. Changing our focus. When we begin following Jesus, our desires and values change. We begin to focus more on Jesus, forget the typo, and his community, and less on things of this world. That's all of Acts 2 through 4, these snapshots of the community life of the church. How they love one another, how they care for one another, all the way up to Acts 6 and 7, where you see kind of there's needs that are going unmet, and they rally around that, and they raise up more leaders to deal with these needs. Like It's all about the life of the church up until the first martyr, and then the gospel spreads out through the known world in the rest of Acts. But these, kind of this deep dive on what it looks like to be a part of a community of faith, not giving any place for living in the faith out of the community, like that you can't be that solo Christian. That's what the beginning of Acts is devoted to. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, that you have died. He couldn't be any clearer on what he's getting at. For you, Jeff Ludington, Rob Spencer, Chris Jackson, whatever, you have, like, you, you die. Your life is hidden in Christ. But it's not about you, it's about Jesus, about the body of Christ. Like, you become a part of something greater, better, more. But it is an absolute change, like, from single to married. Like, everything changes. I'm not saying that that's a bad, by the way, love the changes that take place, but it isn't, you're no longer about yourself when you get married, right? And you definitely learn that in your first year or two of marriage, of how not about you it is. Where are we learning that in the church, about how not about you that it is, and that you are hidden with Christ? Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is pointing forward to the hope that we have in Christ when Christ fixes the broken world we live in. A world that lacks justice and equity and, and is, is just riddled with sin. Your sin and my sin, we cause it. And you can't legislate the problem. It's a heart problem, not a political problem. Politics are always going to fight for power and money. And won't fix the problem. Jesus calls us into something, into a community where notice that you have all things in common. It doesn't matter where you were born or what color your skin is or what your birth language is or how much money you have or don't have, that you have all things in common. Because your life is hidden in Christ. Right? And when Christ appears in the end, when it's all fixed, that's where you get to really inherit the life that you were called to have. Right? The life that we were created to have before sin entered into human history, 
where we were in one-on-one relationship with the triune God who created us and not separate because of sin. So he said, listen, so you die here, you're hidden in Christ, quit trying to think it's about here, because when Christ appears, when it's all said and done, that's where life is. Quit spinning your wheels on this life here. Verse 5, put to death, therefore. He's not unclear, right? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now he's going to give a list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Sexual immorality. Anything other than what God created. God created sexual intimacy between one man and one woman consensually inside the the covenant bonds of marriage. Anything else is sin. Anything. So you giving your heart away via text message to somebody else, sin. You looking at things, lusting, having premarital, extramarital, whatever, right? Fill in the blanks. Doesn't matter if you're gay or straight, all those things, right? There is this, one man, one woman, inside the covenant boundaries of marriage, consensually enjoying that part of life. Anything else, God says is immoral. All our sins. So isolating one sinful group versus another, doesn't doesn't work. Talks about evil desire, it's a heart check. Like, okay, so you look good on the outside. You're not doing these things that we can see, but where's your heart? And like, oh, got me. Sometimes we put on that good eye, don't follow through, but our heart's in the wrong place. Like, he's like, hey, that too. Covetousness, not being satisfied with what God has given you, as if what you have is not enough or not good. He says that's idolatry. You're idolizing things above God. So put to death those things, he says, which are earthly in you. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. There's two really ways to look at this. The wrath of God is coming because of sin. There's a penalty to sin, but also the wrath of God to wipe out sin is also coming. Like there's there's a judgment and a hope kind of wrapped into this wrath of God statement. In order to get out of this broken world and, and rid of sin, the, the judgment of God, the wrath of God is poured out on sin to eliminate it. Like on the cross, how the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus instead of you or me who are in Christ. Eliminating, paving a new way for. Verse 7, and these two, you two once walked when you were living in them. Note that he says there's a life before Christ, right? You have your life before Christ. Now, maybe you came to Christ as a little kid. Right? We were doing a lot of those podcast episodes and, and hearing stories, tell Casey's, like high school, I think, and, and like where people come to faith. So maybe your life before isn't as dramatic as mine, right? You didn't do all the dumb things I did, but you have a life before. Maybe you just recently came to faith, or you're still kind of trying to figure that out. Well, there's a, there's a before and a, like there's a pivot, right? There's who you were and who you become. And it's not... There's some overnight a bit to it, but it's not all overnight, right? There's a process of the gospel being applied to you, Jesus' work and accomplishments being applied to you by the Holy Spirit, transforming you, what we call sanctifying you, making you more like Jesus. It's a process, right? But you should, if you're in Christ, you should be able to clearly define it was before this, this is what's different. And here's what he says. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them right? You lived this way. 
Now, here's why it's important to understand our sin and our brokenness. I'm going to read this out of Luke 7. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It's commonly said, you know, those who have been forgiven much love much. Right? That if you understand the depth and depravity and sin that you lived in or live in, then forgiveness becomes greater. If you think, hey, I was a pretty good person prior, and there was just this little shift, and you probably love little. Does that make sense? Right? Those of you who don't know me, suffice to say, I came to faith in prison. I was I, very clear on my brokenness. And that helps me understand, okay, this is who I was apart from Jesus. It was bad. And this is who I am on the other side of Jesus. Imperfect as it is, much different. Right? So I'm clear about that. Sometimes when you live a life that isn't as extreme, you don't understand your sin as well. And we live in a world and in a church culture in America that loves to tell you you're basically a good person. Say his prayer and you go to heaven. No, no, no. You're broken, jacked up, sinful, evil, corrupt, far from God, and need Jesus. We all do. And we live in a broken, corrupt, sinful, just ugly world. And we've got to quit diminishing this because when we diminish our need, we diminish the gospel. We diminish what Jesus did for us. And we diminish the calling to which we're called. That we would live for the glory of God alone because in this we have been forgiven so much. You have to do all my idiotic things. You have your own sin. But to understand it, to understand how corrupt the heart is, makes our gospel much bigger. Verse 8. You, now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, that's another list, right? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Note the one another, right? Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, note the before, right? And have put on the new self, note the after, right? Which is being renewed. Note the ongoing process, right? So there's a before, there's an after, you're this newness of life, but being renewed. Like renewed and renewing. On and on and on and on, right? Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self, this one another is where he's going to lean in now for the rest of this passage. We'll talk about it in a minute, but he's looking at the relationship we have here with the others in the room, right? So do you have an old life you can point to? Do you have a new life you can point to? And say, this is, I can tell... This is where Jesus entered the story, right? And it, and it changed this. And now, imperfect as I may be, or where I am on the journey, but I see a new, a new Jeff, a, a new you, right? Verse 11, here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. We are all equally in sin. Black, white, yellow, pink, purple, young, old, rich, poor, smart, whatever the opposite. We'll just go with not so smart. We all come to the cross equally sinful, broken, equally far away, equally incompetent to save ourselves, equally inept to fix our internal problem. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. doesn't matter what you drove in, in or on to the parking lot. 
the cross. We're all equal and in need of a Savior. Verse 12, put on then, as God chosen ones, note the plural, right, collectively, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, right? Now, I just want to point this out. This is a gospel message. This isn't a moralism message. This is a this isn't a don't slander, do be kind. It's not what you do to earn God's faith. This is a who you become because of the gospel. You with me? We didn't leave the gospel. The gospel didn't introduce us to Jesus and like, hey, hope it works out for you, right? The gospel is ongoing, renewed and renewing. You live this new life, but you're being renewed. He just said like the gospel continues. As we struggle with sin, we remember Christ's sinless life how he had victory over sin, and we know that his hard work here, his perfection here, is given to us and applied to us in the Holy Spirit. Right? When we, we need something new, because we're just trapped in who we are. He rose from the dead to give us newness of life, right? To give us a new life. When we feel like guilt and shame, we remember Christ died for our sins. They're no longer, if you are in Christ, they are no longer what define you. When we feel powerless and in need, we remember that Jesus ascended and poured out his spirit on us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, lives in you, if you're in Christ. Remember where we started, if you're in Christ. We just need to have a hard conversation about whether you, are you in Christ or not. Right? Okay, where are we? Because the answer is different. The answer over here is, then you need Jesus. The answer over here is, then you have the ability to be different. And the calling, the community calling, and the life change calling, you are hidden in Christ, is strong. And the line is clear. Put on, then, as God chosen one, right? Plural, the church community. Verse 13, listen. Bearing with who? All right, at least Marcia's getting it. All right, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive, right? So here it is. Love one another, bearing with one another, excuse me, bearing with one another. That's impossible to do on your own. It's impossible to bear with one another on your own. If anyone has a complaint against another, hard to do alone, for sure, right? But it also admits the church is imperfect. It's talking about the church community, bearing with one another, if you have a complaint, forgiving each other. Again, impossible to do alone. There are 150 places in the New Testament where the word one another, it's one word in Greek, ironically, all alone. Sounds like all alone, and it means one another. Kind of funny. Anyhow, that's nerd irony. That's for me, just for me, all right? 100 of those are just descriptive. They said to one another, just descriptive words. Then there are about 50 directive one another's. Love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. The calling to a life in Christ, the calling and description of the community of faith, right? You can't do this alone. You can't take these 50 commands. Some of them are negative, like don't do this, but they're mostly positive commands. Do this, be this, one another's. You can't do those 50 without being a part of a church body, a local church body. And that's been his emphasis since his introduction, the body. 
So who are you? You're living a new way. Are you raised in Christ? And if you're in Christ, you're hidden, and you were to live this way in a community called the local church, the body. So verse 13, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, impossible to live in harmony and perfect love alone. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. We are called to be a part of one body. It's that moment where it's like, pick a team. Like, what church body are you called to? And if you see yourself as in Christ, then you are called to a body. Right? Not the global church of every past, present, and future believer who ever lived, but to a local body where you can actually bear with one another their burdens and forgive one another for their flaws and failures and, and your flaws and failures and my flaws and failures. To where you can actually live this out and be in harmony with people that are nothing like you because the gospel unites us. And it gives us, it puts the, the number one thing that we're called to, it gives us the same number one thing. The big E on the top of the I chart becomes Jesus, and we all have the same big E. All the rest of it, who knows? But we've got the same top priority because we're followers of Jesus, and that becomes the big E on the I chart. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom. Did you hear that? One another's more one another's. Paul's leaning into this. He's called us to be a part of a body with the supremacy of Christ being our focal point, calling us into a body, now telling us, what does that look like? You have these one another's. You have to be living these one another's. So look across the room to the people you don't know and go, I need to get to know them because they're screwy and I'm going to have to forgive them at some point. And they're going to need to forgive me at some point. And we're going to bear with one another because they're going to have struggles and I'm going to have struggles. And we're going to love one another. I, mean, I probably should get to know them so I can love them. Because it's easy to lo love them from across the room, but you don't really love them. You just kind of coexist. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as a community. Do you hear that? So here's what this means. You can't bear with one another and forgive one another. You can't do that unless we kind of hang out, unless we get to be a body, right? We can't sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs together. So here's what this means. This does not mean showing up late to church, sliding in right before the message, listening to the message, and as soon as I pray, you walk out. One, that does not help us accomplish the singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You have to ask yourself, is God deserving of your worship today? And I don't want to, but I have this, I don't, whatever. Right? I always get that. When I say that, here's a reason. Here, go in peace. Okay, so... <laughs> You can't live this out if you think that 60 minutes covers it. Or if you're here for a whole 90. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Who are you teaching and admonishing in the room? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Alice did a great job earlier just noting how we're to be thankful and why we're to be thankful. And just calling us to that, like with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
He says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right? He wraps us up with, like, don't forget to thank God. Like, we open in worship, we close in worship. Right? We're like split 50-50, message in the middle. Because we believe that God calls us to be thankful. We, we should hear something today that God wants to say to us. We should respond to it. A lot of times in Scripture, like I think of Nehemiah and Ezra, they're up on the wall in the book of Nehemiah, and they're reading the law. We're talking like Leviticus, Numbers. It's like reading the white pages sometimes, right? If you're old enough to know what a phone book looks like, right? It's not necessarily fun, right? Young people. It's like reading the credits at the end of a movie. How's that? All right, so there we go. I just saw a bunch of faces like white pages. I don't know what that is. All right. Man what you miss with an iPhone, right? Okay, so <laughs> he's reading the law. Literally, Ezra's reading, standing up on the wall they just built, and he's reading the law over the people. Sp hours go by in the day. He's reading the law over them. And the why behind it is this. They're just coming back from being exiled by God in Babylon for their sin. So they're coming back like, okay, how, does, how do we prevent that from happening again? Right? So he's reading law over them. Hours into the day, and spontaneously worship erupts. Because when God speaks, we should worship. That our hearts should be drawn to God. Not me, not you. As much as I'm going to just, we're going to talk about body life together. But we should do that because of God. That our hearts should be so focused on God and what he has done for us in Christ and applied to us in his spirit that we should be drawn to worship. So two things here. Live differently. Live a new life in Christ. A resurrected you, whatever that means. And really, it's less you than anything. It's more resurrected and less you. You are resurrected in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in Christ. And live that out, figure out how to live that out in a local church. If that's here with Generations, we love you, we want you. Right? We love to do life with you. But it's, it, you just want to show up on Sunday mornings, this church is going to get old fast. This is not church. This is our worship service. We are the church. We are the body. And that means we've got to get to know each other offend each other here and there because we make mistakes but can then forgive and bear with and love and, and encourage and teach and sometimes rebuke and, and sometimes cry with and laugh with and, but that's what it looks like now I, I, asked, I asked Ron who's doing slides today to put these in your app so if you got the Generations Church app you don't have to open it right now if you have this this is in there under whatever it says notes or whatever is that the right thing? notes I don't use it because I'm standing here, so you got to give me a break, right? I list, 30, I list 26, so I list about half the one another. So I just want to read them. I just want you to hear them. If you have to close your eyes, just kind of tune everything else out, just listen. Be at peace with one another. Love one another, which is repeated at least 13 times, at least 12 times. Things like love one another and brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing affection, says Paul to the Romans. 
Live in harmony with one another. That's repeated a couple times. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Instruct one another, care for one another, comfort one another, agree with one another. Through love, serve one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Admonish one another. Abound in love for one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Confess your sins to one another. I know it got personal now. Pray for one another. Have humility toward one another. Have fellowship with one another. It's just half. And none of the negatives, even. Like we read earlier, like don't lie to one another. That should be the defining mark of who we are as a church, the one another's. Our metric for how we're doing as a church right now and moving forward is how are we doing the one another's? Not our budget, important as it may be. Not our gathering numbers, important as that might be. How are we doing the one another's? How are we living in relationship, you and me and others? How do we do at living the way Jesus created us as the church to be with one another? I'll close with John 13. A new commandment I give to you. Jesus says this is new. I'm calling you to something new. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. He repeats himself. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus says this on the, like, Monday of the last day of his life. Seriously. Here's how they'll know you're a church. By your love for one another. You're to love one another like I have loved you. Three times he uses one another. This is how outsiders will know you're mine. By your love for one another. That should be a challenge. If we just... Right there, kind of like you go to the doctor and you get your weight and your temperature and whatever check. Like, we just did a temperature check right now. How's your faith as defined by loving one another right here, right now? That should be a challenge for us. All of us should walk out of here knowing we can grow in that. Like that's a place where we can do better. For sure, we can do better. Always, forever, we'll be able to do better. Where we can grow and live. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to invite two people up. I'm going to ask Alex. I know Alex and the band, whole band come up, but I'm going to ask Alex to come up, and I'm going to ask Holly to come up. And here's what we're doing. I want to say thank you to Holly. You pro- if you have a young child, if you have a child in children's ministry, you got an email this week that Holly is going back to school. She's working on teaching, and her student teaching things are ramping up. And so she's been our interim children's director, and so she is kind of going back to school, and I think transitioning this week out, right? Moved back into school yesterday. And so we want to say thank you to her serving our kids over especially this whole summer and VBS. And so you guys, would you thank her? I want to say thank you. I've enjoyed my time with you. I'm glad you brought Aaron because he did well in softball. So that was good. And then I'm going to invite, and so thank you. I'm going to ask Alex, I'm going to swap places with you. Alex, uh, Alex, you've been a part of this church how long? Four years. Three okay. or four years. So not far into generations, you started coming. Mm-hmm. So Alex has been a super faithful part. He's done. Uh, he's played more 
positions on the team that I can name, honestly, but a lot. Uh, last week, we made a decision that uh, we're going to kind of double down on worship with Alex. We're going to pull him out of youth. We're going to pull him out of some of the uh, kind of a, my assistant stuff that he does and, and admin stuff that he does and uh, give him the role that we've been looking for in worship. And so our new worship director is Alex Valdez. <laughs> we have had bumpy road getting to that decision with hits and misses over the last few years. Um, but I got to tell Alex that I trust him, I love him, I have faith in him. And the one thing that's been amazing, he's just been here, that he has been a constant and a consistent piece of the puzzle. And so as teams change with people, we hope we still see you, totally get the work thing. We, we love that she's been here for a season. As we lean into a new season with a new leader, we're excited. And so I'm going to pray, and will you guys just, when you get a chance today, say thank you to Holly, especially if you have kids, and, and you don't, you're not really welcoming Alex to anything except for a new role, really. <laughs> I mean, like, he's not new, so let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. I thank you for these two. Uh, I've enjoyed my time uh, alongside both of them. And getting to know Holly and doing her podcast episode was one of my favorite moments with her. Talking about things she was teaching with her kids that evening. or uh, Yeah, I just enjoyed that. And so thank you for our time. We got to overlap for a season. And now as she goes back to school and has her student teaching five days a week and just... As things get crazy busy for her, I pray that she would remember that it's the church body that walks with her, that the one another's carry the burden, and that she's not, she doesn't go do this alone, but we love her, and we want to be on that journey with her. Lord, for Alex and his wife, Renee, and their family, I, we just love them. Uh, they've been around, and, and they've played so many different roles, and especially Alex. And so we're grateful that we just get to say, okay, here's the area where you're for sure called. Your heart is really here, and we want to get behind that. And so thank you for Alex. I thank you for his friendship with me, uh, for the many crazy jobs I've had him do, like sit in a car and read to me on a long drive. And so God bless him. Lord, he has been <laughs> through the ringer with me. As he leans into this new position, I pray that you would bless him, that you'd pour your spirit out on him in a new way, that you would challenge and grow him. And we're thankful for him. God, for our church, for all these one another's, as we learn how to love one another, bear with one another, serve one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, as we learn, teach us to be the body that you've called us to be. Jesus, it's your body, so you want to live it out your way. It's in your name we pray. 